Hello and welcome to another episode of Laying Down the Lore 40k, a lore podcast in which we aim to separate our Dukari from our Dark Angels, our Terranids from our Tau, and our Craft Worlds from our Chaos Marines, and generally ask, what's up with this Warhammer 40k stuff? My name is Ben Crow Barber, and I know pretty much fuck all about 40k. With me is my co-host, Christopher Crowlin Allen. I'm here. Who knows absolutely fuck all about 40k. Yes, yes, very true. And my dear brother, Darren. The Emperor's blessings upon you all. Who knows so much about 40k, it's a wonder he has time to do anything else. Over the years, this dichotomy between our levels of understanding became clear, and this series is an attempt to address that ignorance. Silence. Yeah, I'm not I'm not saying anything this one. I love a bit of ignorance in the morning. <laughs> Yummy. That's a terrible thing to call her. Sm- smells like victory. <laughs> <laughs> smell my ignorance <laughs> she's a charming woman but knows nothing about engineering yeah. <laughs> what's up what's up oh I can feel the energy the energy is so high this morning come on lads <laughs> fuck it up I'm going to be You've 51 a in a couple of weeks come on <laughs> and look at you not a day past 50 make the most of it guys make the most of it because when I hit 51 bam I am slowing down. <laughs> For listeners, if I could describe how I look this morning, it's like I had relations with an electric eel. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember those uh, trolls you get on the end of pencils? Yeah. Like one of those that's just had a lot of vigorous sex with an electric eel. <laughs> right. I got a feeling that Dar's going to carry this one, Krell. So <laughs> we're all doomed. Doesn't he always? I mean, what's new? Pretty much. Crowley, give me some questions. I know you got some questions. I can see it. I can see on your face. <laughs> Look how I, excited you are. You may say that, but I made the mistake. I kind of glanced over. You've reviewed the wrong episode, haven't you? Yeah. I, well, I looked at my recap. I was like, 40k episode, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I've got it all there. But I'll just give it a read tomorrow morning. Read it. And it was like, oh, episode eight recap. Last episode, episode <laughs> nine. Okay. All right. But here we go. Here's, here's what I remember. Okay, cool. Okay, Ben, what did we look at in episode nine? Fuck no. <laughs> Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. No, no Googling. No, I'm not Googling. <laughs> I, rem- I remember it all now. Um, oh, you remember looked- it now that you found my recap on the shared drive? No, I remember it because I looked at the title of the folder that's got episode nine on it. Oh. Um, so it was about, I just did the artwork for it as well, so I remember. So it was about like the bureaucracy, so all the departmentos, which sounds like a really, really shit mint. There were five parts. What five parts were they, Benny? Five, oh, okay, so two parts vodka, uh, three parts... <laughs> uh, no, so you had the, the administratum, which was basically an entire department of XL lovers. As Dara said, they are XL and... And then there was, is the ecclesiarchy one of them? N- uh, no. Yes and no. Okay, then there was the, uh, the oh, fuck me, the guys that uh, stop heresy and, uh, not heresy, uh, like Xenos and, what are they called? <laughs> Inve- I was going to say investigators. Inquisitors. No. Inquisitors. <laughs> You said, well, you, they're one of the departments, but no. No, you said that one of the departments was part of it, though, aren't they? One of the departments? Uh, yes, ish, yes. Ish, okay. So the ish department, and then there was some others. Mm. I only remember 
the uh, Arbetes, the like Judge Dreads of each. That was the other one I was going to say. Yeah, yeah Arbetes, of each yeah, yeah. like town, and they and the their buildings, their basic like police station slash fortress was always erected in clear view of the governing house. So <laughs> they, the, the the local governors would always be reminded that <laughs> that no, is that not right? No, I'm yeah, shaking my head at. Fucking Ben going boing at the word erection. <laughs> ben and I are always at the mercy of of of, of Darren's kind of judgmental <laughs> looks. Every time he rolls his eyes, um, did I do wrong? Did I do bad thing? <laughs> and I've got nothing else to contribute. I've got nothing else to contribute. Oh, was um was the navigators uh, one of the departments? The navigators is, was included in the episode, but it's not strictly one of the departments. Okay, yes, because there was the whole third eye jam. I remember that. Well, in your episode nine blurb recap, Darren, you said the Navigators is indeed one of the five bureaucratic agencies slash parts slash segments slash whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the five bureaucratic agencies that we covered in the episode. Yep. Okay. Agreed. I don't care. <laughs> and then <laughs> who was the fifth there was the adeptus terror the astron astronomicon the navigators the rogue traders and the adeptus arbites or arbites if you want to pronounce it phonetically ah the astronomicon yeah so the astronomicon was the one that we missed right so that's in order the ones that manage the bureaucracy of the imperium the ones that communicate the decisions or requests for help the kind of merchant vessels, the merchant trader fleets, the navigators who are the ones that can see the Astronomicon, which is the kind of, how would you describe it? It's really like a zombie lighthouse, a zombie. Uh, if you can imagine such <laughs> an erection. And then the uh, the Arbites that enforce all the, the laws, uh, the many confusing contradictory laws of the Imperium. And as Chris pointed out, they are front and center on every planet so that the governor can uh, remember in whose name who, he who the boss who the boss and what was that law that they the arbites were able to kind of punish people for it's like it was really really abstract it was like if you've tried to do something that isn't covered by the law or something like that it was like a, a loophole this is the law, and if you do anything that isn't stated in the law, it's also against the law. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like ab abstractionism of... or something he called it. Yeah. Is that what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Schrodinger's law. <laughs> you, you are both legal and illegal at the same time. Yeah, until I open this door, and then you're definitely illegal. <laughs> well, that was a terrible recap. Uh, okay. Any any bonus questions, Crow? <laughs> uh... Okay, what are we doing this episode in episode ten, then? <laughs> and and let me let me just say, we're not doing one of them. <laughs> I think it has something to do with churches, Go only because Dara said, <laughs> "Is it the ecclesiarchy?" Oh my God, it is, is it Battle Sisters? It's the ecclesiarchy and the Battle Sisters. Those uh, are the two we're going to cover today. I hear their theme music is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Blam, 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 blam. <laughs> I'd like to think that they're like, so they're, they're holier than thou. They're doing it in the name of the emperor who's seen as a god. 
you might think that it's, I don't know, like kind of classically choral or dramatic Wagner type music. I like to think it's kind of like gospely, real upbeat yeah. gospely. Testify. Yeah. 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 Lots of clapping. Yeah. Lots of screaming. I think we're going to be massively disappointed, Crowell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are alive in this day and age, so maybe. <laughs> right. Dari. Right, Ben, Let's strap yourselves this. in. What? Darren's going to dig us to warp speed and journey <laughs> through the story that is Space Church. 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 Space, <laughs> Space Church. 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 I'm going to go on Hit for a Darren while. on the back Church. of the head. Church. Church. <laughs> this is a long echo. I'm in a loop. Loop. Someone loop. turn him loop. off and on no. again. <laughs> oh, that happened years ago, mate. So, yes, as the uh, lads have intimated, we are going to be talking about the, in broad quotes, the faithful institutions, those that deal with faith in terms of its management, but also of its enforcement. So, again, we'll caveat all of this with, this is a summary. There are going to be so many holes in this, it'll look like the worst Swiss cheese. So really, really what we're looking at is the institutions that venerate the empire as a god, which, if you'll recall our summary of the Horus heresy, including the Great Crusade, that isn't at all what the emperor wanted. He wanted a secular imperium of man devoid of any need to contact the warp and the malign entities that existed in it. That's what he wanted, but what did he get? Uh, he got a speedboat, like on um, <laughs> Bullseye. <laughs> I love that. Do you want to see what you could have won? <laughs> I always love that. Was always my favourite part. Is the people lose and they look dejected, and he goes, "Do you want to see what you could have won? <laughs> you fucking losers." <laughs> what can I can I just ask his plan? So he didn't want anybody to be religious. He wanted a secular society. Yes. Because he didn't want anybody to use the warp. Would people still have used the warp if he had announced himself as their god? Because he was in corporeal space. So surely all of that worship then would have been, you know, away from the warp. Are you kind of thinking of like, you know, when you tell someone not to think of a black cat, what do they do? They think of a black cat. It's kind of self-prophesizing. I'm thinking of a black cat right now. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Was that his plan? Is that what you're saying? Is that that was his plan? He was just like, no, 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 I'm not a god. I'm a god. I, 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 I <laughs> but if I was, <laughs> but if I was, I'd look a lot like this. <laughs> However, it is I'm appearing to you right now because I don't know how I'm appearing to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a god would. Huh? Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus, I know we've been working here for a couple of weeks now, but Jim's really distracting with that glowing halo around his head. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just a common labourer. I mean, fair enough, I can pick up a building in each hand, but I'm not a god. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> How distracting would that be if you introduced yourself to someone and go, hi, I'm Darren, not a god. <laughs> I don't know, do it on your next social encounter. Yeah, yeah. Let us know how it goes. <laughs> So yeah, so what what what's the deal? Like, why did he feel that denouncing? I don't know if that's the correct term. If he denounced himself as a god, why would that stop people using the warp? 
It really comes down to a, a kind of level above that where he wanted to get rid of the need for the warp, the need to contact the warp as such. So his, as we've mentioned previously, his plan was to get access and control of the webway, the mm. realm within the warp that was created by the old ones. The difficulty he had is that a lot of the communication and a lot of the travel required contact with the warp, either uh, sending messages through it, like some sort of angry telephone network, or traveling through it in ships protected by the aforementioned Geller fields. This all attracted the attention of the demonic entities that were in the warp. And given that the warp is where souls come from, it was really going to be an uphill battle. But he wanted to get to a point where humanity would just scoff at religion and scoff at spirituality uh, and be led by a functionally immortal emperor who had uh, was able to <laughs> manifest powers that would be godlike, but absolutely not a god, even though they do look like a god. <laughs> Tastes like a god. It smells yeah. like a god. But boy, it ain't a god. <laughs> it's a duck. <laughs> If it swims like a god and quacks like a god, it's a god. <laughs> Did you say he wanted to turn it into a phone line? No. His communication, the astropaths, when they're sending their signals, you know, which are dreams and omens sent from one astropath uh, and uh, to another, collected by that that signal, uh, that message travels I'll tell you what, Darren, with your headset and mouthpiece, you do look like someone who could be in the Webway call centre right now. <laughs> <laughs> of course, in the future, it will all be automated yeah. as well. Like, it's all going to be automated and like, if you want to get through to the Emperor, press one. <laughs> if you wish to converse in High Gothic, press three. Is that why Is that why they transmit signals in like dreams and, and allegory so that it, you know, like if a demon picks it up and, you know, it travels through the warp and a demon goes, oh, look, a message from humanity. Let's have a look at what's inside. And it's like, the owl flew to the trees. Like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> what can I do with that fake, information? Was it, fake message. Is it like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, fake news, get rid of it. <laughs> is that why they do it or is it just because... That's how a signal is sent. That's how the astropaths have been trained to send signals. They don't send signals in the kind of raw high gothic or, or low gothic. It's there that tends to not travel very far uh, right. within the warp. So, but powerful kind of emotive imagery is stronger, and that punches through the warp to get to the uh, the, the the targeted astropath, be it on another planet, on a ship, or on on Terra itself as part of the Astronomicon. That's not to say that it's perfectly translated at the other end. Yeah, it's like a Chinese whispers sort of. Yeah, yeah, uh, I I exactly. Yeah. Or whispers, as it's called, you racist. The <laughs> 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 And really, uh, around that time, around when the Emperor was walking among his followers, secular followers, mm -hmm. that's really when the Imperial kind of 
love affair with religion with regards to the emperor began. It started really in the Great Crusade as these what's referred to as iterators. These were the uh, people who were in charge of transmitting, communicating the, the kind of imperial message, the kind of hopes and dreams of humanity, the plans of the emperor. Uh, and as they were dealing some directly with the emperor himself, they came to kind of understand his for want of a better word, divinity. He is the strongest psyker or second strongest psyker that has ever existed in humanity. He's functionally immortal, being one of these perpetuals that we've mentioned previously, and he's able to manifest powers and abilities that are beyond the kind of capacity of normal people. The The biggest champion of his in terms of recognizing him as a, a, a god or demanding that he be recognized as a god is the Primarch Lorgar. Now, that's a name, if you've uh, listened oh, to yeah. previous episodes, that's the name Primarch of, of the Word Bearers. Of the Word Bearers, Chris. You, oh, you're fast becoming... God. I think if you keep this up, you're in a real kind of likelihood for formal brotherhood within the Barber family. <laughs> Uh, thanks you'll be replacing me of course <laughs> i have a question you said that he was the second most powerful psyker who was the most powerful psyker well i'm not going to answer that right now am i oh, that's a that's a that's a, a little that's a little tip that i'm going to keep in my pocket uh, to reveal at the most devastating moment. Uh, don't spoil it, listeners. Don't spoil it. Please yeah. don't spoil it. Don't. Whatever you or do. Or our Patreon Discord users. Yeah, no. Anyway, regardless, it was uh, kind of the potted history for for Logar's uh, spirituality is whenever they, whenever the word bearers reconquered a planet or uh, conquered a planet for the first time, they would not just bring the planet into compliance, bring it under the rule of the Imperium. They would stay there and build cathedrals and churches and shrines to the glory of the Emperor. The Emperor took umbrage with this because, for two reasons really. The first is he didn't want to be recognized as a god for reasons we've already covered. But also it was the word bearers were the slowest legion. They were the, the legion that took the longest to make any kind of gains of significant size in the Great Crusade. And so they were chastised at uh, Monarchia by the Emperor and by the Ultramarines Legion, which led to Rabuti Guliman, Rabuti Guliman punching Logar in the face, knocking him <laughs> to the ground in front Bitch of his slap. entire... Legion. <laughs> yeah. Slapped him outside the head. Bish <laughs> it down. So Lorgar and the Wardbearers, they're too slow and they're too religious. Well, they're religious full stop. That's the thing. I mean, blame the parenting. Isn't that down to the Emperor's upbringing? Like he said, look, I need you to be progressive and, and take over planets quickly and no worship. So what did he do? None of but that. It's the black cat syndrome again, isn't it? He's like, don't think of a pink elephant. He's like, okay, yeah. I'll worship you as a god. <laughs> <laughs> what went wrong? I blame the parenting. And is it? Can I can I contribute something to that? Um, you know how you were saying that the Primarch's personality was developed in large part by the planet they landed on? Was that the case yes. for Lorgar? Absolutely. Or to use another phrase, 100%. There is also <laughs> uh, an aspect, I think we've talked about this in 
it, when we were talking about the kind of run up to the Great Crusade, the Primarch project. When the Emperor created the uh, Primarchs for the 20 legions, they were viewed as tools, not socially, but used <laughs> as, as a, a weapon or an instrument of change. Uh, some of them were knobs. Uh, so he didn't view them as his sons for the large part. And kind of, it was a very perfunctory form of parenting where you had a pets. lot of the... They were his pets. Yeah. A lot of the brothers were, uh, you know, sought solace and affirmation from each other. And that led to some alliances being made that would be would come to be regrettable. There was very little guidance given by the emperor other than chastisement, as Lorgar himself felt. So, you know, th there's also the idea that they were corrupted as they were spread through the galaxy by the forces of chaos. And as Ben says, they were heavily influenced by the planet they grew up on. And in Lorgar's case, it was a planet racked with religious wars again and again and again. Mr. Chris. And um, I'm right in remembering that the uh, Primarchs ended up on their respective planets because the Chaos Gods uh, scattered them on purpose for that. So yes. it wasn't the Emperor's intention to put Lorgar on that slow religious planet. It was a result of the Chaos Gods meddling. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I and I will say, as a bit of a teaser, that the gods could not have scattered them without the intervention of the first most powerful psyker in human history. Oh. And we're just moving on. We're moving on. We're moving on. Quick, somebody turn so, Kral off and on again. Following the events of the Horus Heresy, we see that the Emperor is interred into the Golden Throne, this great device that powers a lot of the kind of more esoteric infrastructure of the Imperium on Terra, on Earth, uh, but also is a life support system where the Emperor is fed very much in the style of Hungry Hungry Hippos with uh, psychers. Uh, constantly being kind of plugged in as snack packs, uh, lunchables is that a thing? <laughs> Juice boxes, Who knows? Juice boxes. That's that's more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a lot of religious sects and cults kind of explode onto the scene after this because the emperor is seen now as this ever living entity um institutionalized literally in an institution within the uh, within the structure of the the golden throne and the imperial palace itself he's then there for you know up until the current timeline in 40k so you're looking at 10,000 plus years or a little over 10,000 plus years existing as a a, a a an extremely powerful psychic entity and the de facto head of a church. Not that he really has any say about it, um, you know, because his jaw... Sounds his... like it's backfired to the emperor. <laughs> yes. Massively. I think it's the his acknowledgement of what has happened with a kind of stalemate with the forces of chaos. That's really what the Imperium is. It's like 
if anyone's seen that Disney movie Black Hole, it's it's the the Imperium is now on the event horizon of collapse. It's mm. constantly within the end times, you know, the age of revelation for our Christian friends. It's right on the edge of that. And so he has demonstrably embraced the idea of a state religion, of a, a you know, a, a single galactic uh, religion uh, under the ecclesiarchy as an institution, as a psychic in quotes, institution that's drawing the worship and psychic power generated through faith from the forces of chaos, from the four gods of chaos, into the Imperium itself. Mm-hmm. So it's re- really, it's the, the primary instrument that has allowed the Imperium to last for so long Got is it. the uh, the Ecclesiarchy, or as it is known, the Adeptus Ministorum. Uh, that's the official name for the ecclesiarchy in the high gothic i think Mm -hmm. you said the emperor communicates in a form to uh to the to various people through like tarot cards and visions yes all of that stuff did at any point you know like the initial one where you know the initial contact where they started setting up these churches did he not go whoa 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 that wasn't my plan (laughs) Don't do that. Like disband this shit. Well, that, that's that's a great question because it leads perfectly into what we're going to mention here. And so I, I will answer your question right now. Fantastic. The first couple of thousand years after the Horus Heresy, I mean, if you'll recall when we covered it, it was such a devastating, calamitous event. It really destroyed the Imperium as was, and so they spent one to two thousand years simply trying to rebuild what had already existed you're dealing with warp storms you've now got uh, pirates and traitor space marines kind of roaming the space lanes you've got an increase of uh, xenos or alien activity there is a uh, um galactic scrumping uh, Galactic scrumping, absolutely. Petty crime. There's the the rise of what's called the Great Beast, which was uh, a fantastically powerful and influential orc warlord who brought the Imperium to its knees something about a 1,000 to 1,200 years after the end of the Horus Heresy. How would you describe it? So, it, like, in our own history, whenever there's been a great war, you know, like the, like the Great War, World War One. immediately after World War One, there was such a shortage of, you know, given the, the kind of gender roles at the time, men to work the fields that food was you know very expensive and and mm. couldn't readily be harvested on top of that you had the spanish flu uh, which killed as many people as it did uh, or as were killed during the war so there's any war has knock on effects mm. and one can imagine a galactic sized war has galactic sized after effects with right. you know we're talking where in the Imperium where there's like agri-worlds that would feed an entire sector. Well, if you destroy that agri-world or it's invaded or captured, how are you going to feed, you know, mm. the, the other worlds that would normally be, be fed by it? So you had instances... Corp starch. <laughs> Corp starch. Exactly right. You are Man. so close to being adopted. The... <laughs> 
<laughs> You're definitely his favorite this episode, Carl. <laughs> well, he's certainly the yeah, most communicative. Ben, we'll just leave it like that. Uh, the- <laughs> <laughs> I can say more, it'll just be drivel. <laughs> <laughs> but you can imagine like an entire hive planet starving to death, descending into uh, the use of corpse starch or outright cannibalism. They're so weakened by that lack of food then that some alien invaders or a a traitor cult can come in and uh, take over. And that then has knock-on effects for other worlds within that sector and around it. So uh, one cannot overstate how devastating the Horus heresy was to a galactic empire. I think it actually destroyed the Imperium and then they had to spend 2,000 years, 3,000 years rebuilding it to, to this thing that treads water. Are you saying that the, the Imperium was just too, the Emperor was just too busy guiding humanity in that rebuild to kind of say, like, guys, don't be making any churches? I think it goes further than that. I think the Emperor became a, a, a purely psychic entity. His psyche, his spirit is bound to his in quotes, ever-living body, which is basically just uh, a drawer full of bones at this stage. And so he is only able to communicate psychically. And that means that he ends up communicating in, to some extent, omens, Uh, uh, visions. And so these are interpreted as acts of faith or you're receiving a message from the god uh, this all is then reinforced by the structure of the religious institutions that uh, uh, popped up there are thousands of these institutions popped up all over the imperium within 1200 2000 years of the horus heresy the strongest of these um one can imagine these were like mini kind of faithful empires so you have the imperium the uh, the bureaucratic imperium and over on top of that you have these uh, religious areas where one sect is stronger in a certain sector of the galaxy than in another but the strongest and most influential was what's referred to as the Temple of the Saviour Emperor. That was the name of this uh, sect. And it was uh, instituted, or rather it was founded by a member of the Imperial Army who actually fought during the Horus Heresy. It was actually at the Siege of Terra in those final kind of fateful, horrific moments. Yeah. Back in my day... In the Horus Heresy, <laughs> we didn't have spaceships. Now, I'm going to mispronounce his name for comic effect. Are you ready? Mm. He is actually referred to as Fatty Dickus. Yes. His real name is Dickus Fatty. <laughs> F-A-T-I-D-I-C-U-S. Are you joking? Fatty Dickus. Fatty Dickus. Fatty Dickus. I'm not sure how you would pronounce that otherwise. <laughs> D-I-C-U-S. Uh, Faditus? Faditus? Uh, yeah, Fatty Dickus. Anyway. Fatty Dickus. Fatty Dickus. Faditicus. Faditicus. We're just going to say it. Biggest Dickus from the life of Brian. <laughs> <It's> biggest <laughs> Dickus. Dickus. 
<laughs> he has a wife, you know, in Continentia. Yeah. <laughs> Continentia buttocks. Um, but as he was, uh, you know, he was there at the Siege of Terror. You know, he was around those institutions, those buildings, when the emperor came back, when the emperor was brought back and interred into the Golden Throne. And as the emperor went from being a kind of speaking, still interventionist person, albeit chairbound, to being a spiritual entity, was he, he still gained, was he still speaking when he got put in the chair, or was for he, so, he for about six months to a year? He was still able to communicate with people, albeit very kind of haltingly, because effectively his throat had been cut by what's referred to as a lightning claw which mm. is this enormous gauntlet with long swords for fingers that Horus had on his, what arm is that? On his left arm. Right. Yeah. No, oh. wait. It's right his right arm. arm, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. His right yeah, arm. Left, got left the, in the pictures. The, left in the pictures. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so is, you know, in terms of the emperor's kind of communications with uh, people, after, say after that period, after he was he was then communicating with them psychically, I'm assuming that it was kind of a lost in translation thing. Like he might have been like, "Okay, I need everybody to stop worshiping me." So he sends them like a, an image of a church burning, and then the churchy people get that and they're like, "Ooh, he says that there's a threat coming. We need to strengthen the churches." Is it that yeah. kind of thing where it's like completely yeah. missing? He's just like, no, 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 no. Okay, right. Let's try again. Two churches oh my burning. Me. Oh, he's telling us that the threat is really big. Strengthen them more. Or these churches are beacons of light by being on fire. <laughs> he's trying so hard, his darndest. It's like one of his main agendas on his manifesto. No more religion. <laughs> Bam! Religion everywhere. It's like the cornerstone <laughs> yeah. of the Imperium at this point, it sounds like. I mean, what went wrong? He's not done very well, has he, this old emperor? Yeah. Poor dude. <laughs> Poor dude. So, Biggest Dickus dies. <laughs> Fatiticus. <laughs> Fatiticus. He builds up an enormous following among the Imperial Army, which is then renamed the Astra Militarum, but also the Imperial Navy and a, a, a huge number of scribes and adepts amongst the Adeptus Terra. This means that his visions, his holy word, his kind of, for want of a better word, Bible, is spread throughout the galaxy, is spread amongst the Imperium of Man through the military forces and through the kind of bureaucratic network, all originating from Terra. At his passing, he has over a billion followers on Terra alone. And, you know, and many billions throughout the Segmentum Solar, which is that central area of influence within the Imperium of Man. As they expanded, they came across other sects and other religious institutions of the cults, which were either absorbed or destroyed by pure kind of fanatical religious mobs, egged on by imperial officers who were uh, also members of the of the temple of the savior emperor. By the end of the 32nd millennium, so we're looking now, it's roughly 2,000 years or a little uh, over 2,000 years from the end of the Horus heresy. Two-thirds of the imperium 
are now under the sway, under the kind of religious control of the temple of the savior emperor. The other kind of major exemptions to this are the space marines, uh, the chapters of the space marines, uh, but also the Adeptus Mechanicus. They worship a, a being called the Omnissiah, which is this kind of robo-god. And so they are uh, held, to some extent, in contempt by the uh, the religious institutions, even to this day. Even to this day, the kind of current timeline in uh, Warhammer 40k. At the end of this 32nd millennium, they are declared the state religion by the High Lords of Terra. So they are brought into the fold. They're not something that's humoured. They are now so powerful and so wealthy and influential, it is easier to bring them into the fold than not. So we see at that stage the death of the emperor's idea or ideal for the Imperium being a secular society. That is completely destroyed with that one decree, with that kind of adopting it in. And so now there is a, a state church for the Imperium of Man. This is an enormous expansion of influence within the Imperium of the Adeptus Ministorum, now known as that. Suddenly, they're able to raise taxes on shrine worlds. Suddenly, they're able to, for want of a better word, raise armies of the faithful and go on crusades. They are a legitimate powerhouse within the Imperium, arguably second only to the Adeptus Terra in terms of influence and numbers of bodies that they can bring to bear uh, on an issue. That is not to say that they are not... You know, they are not unchallenged. The largest of the kind of the other third of the Imperium uh, follows something called the Confederation of Light, which is a, a, a rival sect, a rival interpretation of the Emperor's life, the Emperor's sacrifice, and his interventionist ways. This leads to a, a holy war, a huge crusade that absolutely decimates the forces of the Confederation of Light and leaves them only with a few small shrines or a few kind of hidden congregations around the uh, Imperium. And with that, the Ecclesiarchy now gains complete domination of the faith of the Imperium. They are the recognized de facto church with uh, no kind of... How is that? No interpretation or reinterpretation of their very strict religious dogma. Mr. Chris? The Confederation of Light, they were a rival to the uh, the official Church of the uh, Imperium of Man. But yes. were they still imperialists in the sense that they believed in the emperor and his word? They just interpreted his actions and his beliefs in a different way. They were very much on the side with the emperor. It's like yes. what Protestants uh, are to Catholics or Protestants. That is literally what oh, okay. I was about to say. Yes, a hundred percent. So it's they're they're a variation on a theme, a variation yeah. on an idea. That you know, ninety five percent of what they thought matched up with the ecclesiarchy. The real change, the real difference was that the Confederation of Light believed that church and state should be separate. Okay. 
that it should ah, it should okay. continue as it is. It shouldn't be right. recognized as the as the Imperium's state religion. They should be allowed to develop their own systems. Uh, Mr. Chris. And who did the Emperor back, if any of them? The Ecclesiarchy or the Confederation of Light? Or is he just like, made the strongest win? It's really the kind of made the strongest win. We're still talking about the, you know, two and a half, three thousand years after the Horus Heresy. The mm. Imperium is really getting on its feet after that time. I mean, it took them three thousand years to do what it took the Emperor 250 to 500 years to do. Uh, prior to that, to get this kind of reunification going uh, within mm. the galaxy, you know, there's a in oh, what's it? It's the Inquisitor War books. It's a, it's a trilogy, a series of novels. In one of the scenes, the main character is able to converse with the Emperor directly. Well, again, psychically, but it appears in the novels that the Emperor's psyche has had to be fractured because there's so many moving parts to the the Imperium and so many uh, institutions that need his intervention or guidance that he's broken off bits of his psyche. So you deal with you. This bit deals with the Astronomicon. This bit deals with the Ecclesiarchy. This bit deals with the kind of bureaucracy. This bit deals with the military. And so... Could he not delegate that? Didn't he have like custodies and officers that could have done that? But they, they still needed a top tier uh, Emperor style. It, but, Yes, but it's it's not in terms of the day-to-day management of it. It's it needs like a psychic battery for that section. The astronomical oh. has to be done through a lens of the emperor's psyche. So it's to do more with the power than it is with his kind of decision-making qualities. So the um you mentioned that the Adeptus Mechanicus uh, obviously, they have a slightly different set yes. of beliefs around the Omnisire, and that they're kind of held in contention by the official Church of the Imperium. Do they tolerate them because of what the Adeptus Mechanicus provide the the Imperium in terms of um, um, production? Ish, yeah, ish. The they tolerate them because the Adeptus Mechanicus is a part of the Imperium. It's it's a very kind of uh, odd relationship because they are allied with the Imperium rather than being of the Imperium, if you know what mm. I mean. They're a separate uh, galactic-spanning empire, in quotes, but mm. they're uh, so strongly tied to the Emperor who they saw as a kind of manifestation of the Omnissiah. So they do worship the Emperor as a god, Without getting too blasphemous, <laughs> it's the relation between the Emperor and the Omnissiah is, one could say it's similar uh, as a relation between uh, Jesus and God in the right, okay. Christian faith. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. It, it, it's they, they are technically one and the same, but one is a kind of manifested avatar of the other. Um, and and because the the mechanicus are resp- if I'm not wrong they're responsible for the production of basically all of those ships and arms and yes. you know tanks and whatever if they were to just stop would the imperium kind of fall apart militarily speaking and, uh, is, the- and is that kind of their leverage to continue to believe whatever the fuck they want to believe 
Uh, short answer is yes. The it the the it's the incredibly esoteric high tech um, machineries, uh, but also that that the mechanical mar- that specialize in, but also in mass production. Mm. So you've got um, hive worlds like Necromunda or Armageddon do have manufacturing capacity for small arms and for light vehicles, this kind of stuff. But the more kind of high tech by the uh, titans that kind of idea yeah they can only be produced by the mechanicus the adeptus mechanicus Uh, but you can you can equip a fairly solid army just with what you're able to produce on a planet uh, outside of the influence of the mechanicus yeah did that answer your question yeah so yeah so basically they because of their kind of integral part in the manufacturing process they're they have kind of free reign in terms of their belief system uh i wouldn't say free reign they're certainly tolerated but the ministerium the ecclesiarchy watches them like a hawk as does the inquisition right um, okay mr chris it sounds like um they are allowed to worship who and how they want because it ultimately it helps the imperium if allowing adeptus mechanicus to worship their own idol their own god in their own way means that the imperium can ultimately get big badass machines and military might i've had it from a bureaucratic and kind of war materials point yes but also you have to keep in mind that the mechanicus to some extent view the omnissiah and the emperor as the same thing which means right. they worship the emperor as a manifest god which is to in a large part what the ministerium does what the ecclesiarchy okay. does uh, and yeah. so it's brothers from different mothers shall we say yeah, yeah. it's they, they, like they are focused at the same god as it were they're like yeah. no 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 we're all we're all talking about the same guy here we just call him yeah. the ominous no. <laughs> we've all got the same circuits and pneumatic drills and pumps in as you know when you strip the skin back right but you raise a, a, an also a good point about space marines about the adeptus astartes 99.9% of the uh, the Space Marine chapters in the Imperium are secular. They do not view the Emperor as a god. They view him <laughs> as the founder of the Imperium and the father of the Primarchs, from which all Space Marines are descended. So uh, granddad. Through, uh, for want of a better term, yes. Grandpapa Ramps. Grandpa Pabs. <laughs> Big Papa P. Always, always carries a bag of Werther's Originals with them. <laughs> <laughs> and they really do have a kind of adversarial relationship with the uh, the force of the ecclesiarchy. Hmm. The ecclesiarchy, to some extent, venerates the space marines as the genetic sons of the emperor. That is how they view them, which means that uh, each space marine, to some extent, is a walking, talking icon of imperial faith, or at least that's how the Ministerium have decided to view individual right. space marines. The space marine chapters and the chapter masters, to some extent, ignore 
the ecclesiarchy, almost its entirety. There are exceptions, of course, including my favorite chapter, the Black Templars, who have swallowed the kind of ecclesiarchy dogma hook, line and sinker uh, and are a religious order of space marines mm-hmm. on a constant crusade. So they're a fleet-based chapter. So they uh, are in ships traveling through the, the galaxy, uh, enacting the, the dogmatic religious will of the emperor as they divine it. But also they lend assistance to the ecclesiarchy and the sisters of battle and uh, persecute religious wars uh, on an ongoing basis. They they are the most famous of the kind of uh, religious chapters. There are others. We will cover them anon. Really, then, it's business as usual for the next couple of thousand years until we get into the 36th millennium where a high lord, Goj Van Dyer, a name that's quite easy to pronounce, who is the master (laughs) of the administratum. So he's the, the head of the Adeptus Terra as it were. In fact, he is the 361st, if memory serves, uh, master of the uh, the bureaucratic, the bureaucracy of the Imperium of Man. He is uh, effectively, in our own world, do you, are you familiar with the, the Italian family, the Borgias? They are mm. the ones who were the kind of nobility in uh, Renaissance uh, Italy, they took over the papacy. They took over as heads of not only kind of aristocratic families, but also of merchants. That's where the became, expression bourgeois came from, isn't it? Bourgeois. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Oh, okay. Sounds Maybe. like it. We'll cut that because <laughs> it's probably wrong. <laughs> I can't believe it's not bourgeois. Uh, the <laughs> bougie. <laughs> bougie. It's very bougie. He managed to not only seize control of the administratum, but also of the ecclesiarchy. He became the head of both institutions. Uh, And power as power does corrupted him almost to his DNA. And he instituted what became known as the purge of, or sorry, the reign of blood, which consisted of huge dogmatic purges of both the ecclesiarchy uh, and the adeptus terra and in fact the populace of earth itself he was based on earth at the time he constructed or he fortified the ecclesiarchal palace on terra which uh, just as an interesting passing note takes up the entirety of the continent of Antarctica. Um, so it's right at the, the, the kind of bottom of the, uh, or, or as we would see it at the bottom of the planet, that entire thing is one cathedral palace uh, ruled at the time by uh, Goj Van Dyer. Um, there's, no, there's no land in Antarctica, is it? It's only the Arctic. No, there's a landmass under the ice. Okay. I can't remember. No, I think one's all sea or something, or mostly sea. I can't remember which one. That's the north. That's that's the Arctic. That's the Arctic. Antarctic down south. Down south. That's got right? a landmass there, son. Yeah. Okay. Under, right, to, cool. to be fair, on, it's under two miles of ice, but there we go. Okay. Do they have kind of weather control systems uh, on Terra then? Because obviously. It's an interesting question because there's no water, there's no surface water. Hmm. And in fact, there are no forests, there's no plant life. There's every, it, it's one city. Everything is one city. Uh, so yes, it sounds so, like the answer is yes. They must yeah, have their own climate so they, control. They, they would do, but the atmosphere is so uh, acidic uh, that 
it has horrific weather. So it gets acid rain, which is actually acid rather than it's slightly stingy. the kind of place you just leave the window open a jar, no more than just a jar. Yeah. You wouldn't want to open it wide open. Yeah. For our UK listeners, very much like Fife. <laughs> Felf. Oh, no. That's... That's an Felf. that's an in joke for any uh, for any uh, Scottish business. Oh, don't bring up Felf. No what? one goes to Felf, as we all know. What? Yeah, no. His purges extend out beyond Terra, as he is able to install kind of lackeys and yes people amongst the powerful positions across the entire Imperium, and he eventually uh, declares himself to be above the Emperor. He is now the modern day uh, kind of traitorous emperor of man. In that way, in that way, he is perhaps more successful than Horus in usurping power from the emperor. Wow. Uh, Mr. Chris. This guy, I'm going to call him Gavin. What's his name? Gorge. Gorge Vandire. Er, Gorge. He sounds bougie. Gavin, we'll call him. It, was he corrupted by chaos at all, or was it just pure power, corruption by power? Power. He was. Right. He. Okay. He. The human was, condition. Okay. Yes, it's one of these things that, that in the in forty k it kind of irks me a lot. Is that every time someone rebels, it's chaos or a xenos influence? But xenos you know, did sometimes, it. Yeah. yeah, sometimes people are just dicks. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, and Gavin was one of them. He has a dickish name, that's for sure. Goge. It was a dickish name. This all came to a, a head when the fabricator general of the Adeptus Mechanicus, based on Mars, who is one of the High Lords of Terra, managed to rouse up the kind of righteous indignation of the Imperial Senate, the Senatorum Imperialis, and they tried to depose Van Dyer. And he responded by killing as many of them as he could get his hands on and then disbanding the Imperial Senate. So then he would rule directly from the Ecclesiarchal Palace at the the butt of the world. At this stage, a a force of Space Marines uh, was assembled as uh, there was a conclave of Space Marine chapter masters and they had simply had enough especially as he was now putting himself above the emperor, uh, either uh, tacitly within his expansion of power or kind of in a propaganda sense where he was the de facto emperor. A, a, a strike force of space marines, including the imperial fists from the first founding, the, the kind of Praetorians of Terra, the, the ones that organized the defense during the Horus Heresy, and the Black Templars and a few other chapters went in, and ultimately he was dis- deposed. Uh, that is not to say that it, it was the Space Marines that did it. We will cover that shortly. But um, nor were the Space Marines the only ones rebelling. You had uh, a preacher named of Sebastian Thor, who came from one of the remaining conclaves of the Confederation of Light, and he led a great crusade and ultimately uh, as uh, Goj van Dyer was executed Sebastian Thor was brought into the room 
uh, brought into the ecclesiarchal palace and the chapter master, I believe of the imperial fists, said, you are leaving this room as the ecclesiarch or you are not leaving this room at all. Hmm. I quite like this room. I'll think I'll stay here. <laughs> uh, and so he then became the, the the ecclesiarch and instituted several changes, several um Did that mean that he had to renounce his um uh, membership in the the other the foundation? No, he was able to fold in some of those beliefs through new decrees uh, oh, okay. to help put some distance between the ecclesiarchy and the administratum. Uh, that's not to say that they are not still heavily linked and that there are issues from time to time, but they got rid of the capacity for one High Lord of Terror to be in charge of state and church. Uh, and that was the most yeah. crucial of the time. He, he organised Christmas dues together, do you know, just so that they, could, you know, they weren't completely <laughs> yeah, yeah. separate. Yeah, team know. building exercises team uh, building every exercises. quarter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. In terms of the kind of progression then, it's really you're looking at an embedding of the uh, the Adeptus Ministorum under this kind of refined new touchy-feely law. Uh, oh, that's a bad phrase to use when talking about <laughs> churches. Uh, <laughs> and really there there have been since that time, you know, thousands if not millions of crusades the galaxy is peppered with uh, cathedrals and uh, priests and uh, and various types promoting the the faith of the imperium of man in terms of structure it's very very much like the catholic church there is a head honcho and then there is a huge hierarchy of priests uh, of various levels pyramid scheme each with yeah, each with their own uh, purview, uh, each with their own responsibility. So at the at the top you have the ecclesiarch, who is space pope, uh, and also a high lord <laughs> of terror. Under that you then have cardinals and arch cardinals. These are the ones that manage entire segmentum or large sectors within each segmentum, and. They are responsible for not only the faith, but the security of the faithful within those areas of the Imperium. As you go down the kind of rung of hierarchy, you go through like deacons and archdeacons. These will be ones that will be given control uh, or management. They are responsible for the faith of uh, a, a, an entire system, so a planetary system or a large hive world, that kind of idea. And as you go further down, you get down to the very bottom where you have confessors and preachers. So confessors would be, to some extent, they're peripatetic. They walk around the Imperium very much in kind of a missionary uh, position. No? Please yourselves. Uh, and the... <laughs> it's very hard to walk around like that. A confessor... <laughs> wheelbarrows, Ben, the wheelbarrow. The confessor, uh, as an example, would be in charge of an entire hive on a hive planet. So you're looking at a billion souls under their kind of management, under their uh, protection, but also under their vigilance. This is a thing where there's... Because the Imperium is constantly under threat... The church is constantly vigilant, so they are invasive into people's day-to-day -day lives. 
and using the uh, the hive world uh, or a hive as an example, where the day to day life of most of humanity is just constant toil or restless sleep. That's that there. There's no downtime, other than praying, other than attending church. So they go to one or two services a day, and in those churches, in those shrines and cathedrals, you find that the uh, the priests keep an eye on the congregation, making sure that someone's not praying for too long because they think <laughs> they might be just trying to have a bit of a rest. One of the punishments, if a priest judges you to be kind of lollygagging in church, you're praying, but not really. You just don't want to go back to work. You can be sent to a penal legion for the rest of your life. You can be a, a, a prisoner soldier until the day you die simply by uh, attending church a bit too regularly being perhaps a bit too fervent. It reminds me of a line from that Bleak Expectations um, uh, radio play where they're in a, a, a kind of workhouse and he said, we had to work for 23 hours a day and in the remaining hour we had to eat, sleep and do 59 minutes of prayer. <laughs> <laughs> so one can imagine a kind of fairly prosaic uh, structure of church people uh, who minister to the faithful from the very basic level up to advisors to governors and to uh, uh, military campaigns, this kind of idea. You do have some kind of specialty ranks within there, and there are as many now as there are stars in the sky. Uh, but just to give you an idea, you have exorcists who specialize in getting rid of uh, pesky demons. You have uh, crusaders who are kind of uh, knight errants, uh, in the kind of old style, they look very much like a like an Arthurian knight, but in kind of more uh, technologically based or technologically helmet. enhanced armor. <laughs> space helmet. Uh, you have something called the Iron and Iron Evangelists. These are priests and confessors who are assigned to one of the many ships of the Imperium. Uh, so they are space-based, as it were. So they are space-space churches. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Space, space, baby. <laughs> and then you have what's referred to as... Meg sat on your lap. I just saw a little dog face just tear up. It's not Meg. Yeah. It's Timmy. Um, oh, Timmy. <laughs> Timmy. Timmy. We're looking after Timmy for a couple of weeks. And then finally, I just want to touch on something called the Redemptionists. Now, these are uh, a fanatic's fanatic uh, in terms of their religious fervor and belief. These are the ones at the forefront of every single crusade. If they suspect you of heresy, they'll set you on fire, either individually or in large groups. They are uh, wielded by the ecclesiarchy with kind of kid gloves, uh, because if you drop a handful of these kind of fanatical priests into uh, a city or, or a planet, uh, you can guarantee that within a few years, a significant portion of that planet will be on fire uh, with <laughs> the associated populace in there. They have a, they have a zero tolerance kind of idea of worship. Uh, you're either as faithful as they demand you be, or you're on fire. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Why is everyone such a ball breaker? Yeah, I, I, I don't Why? know. I don't know. 
But they, they, I mean, they, you can actually, in a game called Necromunda, you can play a redemptionist cult. Uh, so you can, mm. you know, have a gang of these guys. And they have, if you can imagine a standard kind of uh, machine gun or, or a, an assault rifle, but it has mm. underneath it disposable flamethrowers. So it, oh, nice. it's just, they'll shoot you <laughs> and then set you on fire. Or they'll <laughs> set you on measure. fire and then not shoot you and leave you burn. <laughs> but one way or another, fire. <laughs> but one way or another, <laughs> fire. Uh, as part of the kind of rebranding of the uh, of the church, when Sebastian Thor took over, there was a thing r- created called the Decree Passive, which stated that the church can no longer have men under arms, which meant that they could not have a standing army. That was the spirit of the of the instruction, because that was a huge problem. Uh, under the uh, under Van Dyer's reign of blood, he had l- literal armies of troops dedicated to uh, killing his enemies, and thus. So uh, troops are there for right? Like, well, that's what you have troops. <laughs> <laughs> I have soldiers sure. ready just for battle. Well, <laughs> ready bravo! Just, <laughs> a load of troops. He had the Seventh Knitting Regiment. He had the uh, <laughs> look at my army. Guess what they do? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but these were armies at his beck and call, rather than armies under the military uh, command uh, of oh, okay. the other high lords of terror, uh, including the kind of field marshal of the Imperium. This resulted. This decree passive resulted in really the ecclesiarchy having three kind of main types of troops all fanatical, only one truly human. You had the Fraterous Militia, which is the uh, the kind of congregation, the general congregation of the church. Some of them can be armed with kind of uh, pistols and small arms to be able to fight. So think kind of a mob with torches and pitchforks. That's the kind of level of expertise uh, we're talking about. Uh, so it's guys that run out into the street and just start shooting with their eyes closed. Uh, this, this kind of idea. Spray and pray. Spray and pray. Exactly right. You have then also what's referred to as the arco-flagellants. These are uh, men and women... flagellants weren't cool enough. <laughs> ...who exist under punishment from the church. They have had their arms replaced with uh, what's referred to as electro whips or electro scourges. These look like uh, huge lengths of electrified cable with uh, kind of maces on the end of them. Jesus, uh, and they have a special helmet on. They've been to some extent lobotomized, and they've been given a trigger word. Uh, and upon receiving that trigger word, the Armadillo. syringes that line their spine, either <laughs> side of their spine, depress and put in, uh, how would you describe it? Effectively, a mix of every upper you can imagine. And they go into psychotic rages and just sprint as fast as they can towards the enemy, just like whipping them, flailing. whipping them with their change, <laughs> flailing. flailing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there are many hundreds of thousands of these on uh, every kind of uh, system that's uh, held under ecclesiarchal rule. And these are 
usually just cannon fodder. They're just thrown at the enemy. But they are all punished imperial citizens. They all started out as faithful members of the uh, Imperium who went astray. Mr. Chris? I'm not so sure it's as much the trigger word as it is the uh, cocktail of uppers that makes them go into a rage. Uh, well, it's the, it's the trigger word that makes the syringes inject. Oh, right. There's not just a button. No. Yeah, you would have thought that would have been easier, wouldn't it? Like, yeah. No, no, no. We'll make it fun because we can make it a fun word. Button is just a button, you know? Well, I think maybe there there is a button and there's a small audio player in their helmet that yeah. puts the word in. Because otherwise goes, you're standing on the top of a castle shouting yeah. words at guys. Yeah. No, not you. Him. Yeah. Him. Fettuccine. <laughs> Beep hammer time. <laughs> Good morning, Webway Call Center. How may I direct your call? I'm afraid the Emperor isn't taking calls at the moment, sir. Well, mainly due to the fact he's interred in a golden throne and lacks the physical apparatus to speak, sir. If you'd like to leave a message, we can send this to him using dreams, and you may get a response through tarot cards. A tried and tested method. Would you like to leave a message, sir? Great. I just need a few details from you before we proceed. Your name? Can you spell that for me, please, sir? F-A-T-I-D-I-C-U-S. Fatty Dickus? Oh, Fatidicus, my apologies, sir. I think we spoke with your wife before. You're a veteran from the heresy, is that correct? An honor, sir. Thank you for your service. Now, belief system? Hmm, okay, you set up a new religion, sir. Name? No, not your name, sir, the name of the religion. Temple of the Savior Emperor, you say? Quite the mouthful. I'm afraid we can only fit 18 characters in the field. How do you feel about Adeptus Ministorum, sir? Great. And how many followers do you have, sir? At least seven, possibly billions, you say? Okay, great. That's your record updated, sir. Now, what is your message? You would like to declare the Temple of the Savior Emperor the state religion? And you would like the Emperor's blessing? I'm afraid that won't be possible, sir, as the Emperor only blesses secular entities. Would you consider a blessing from the High Lords of Terra? Yes, of course, sir. They are very much in the business of ignoring the Emperor's original vision for humanity, and I know they'd be thrilled to hear from you. Wonderful, sir. I'll get this sent off straight away for the 743 counter-signatures, and you can expect to hear back from the High Lords in the next few hundred years. Yes, you will very likely be dead by then, sir. But nobody became the founder of a state religion in their own lifetime now, sir, did they? Indeed. Now, is there anything else I can do for you, sir? Wonderful. Thanks for calling the Webway Call Center, sir, and you have a great day. Goodbye now. Good morning, Webway Call Center. How may I address
you then have also larger variants of arcoflagellants, which are in fact effectively an arcoflagellant in a machine, in a walker, which is just effectively a large robot that has huge buzz saws and flamethrowers on the ends of I arms. I have seen these. And they yeah. just they batter towards the enemy as fast as they can, surrounded by uh, whatever the Smurf equivalent of them is, the Arcofagulants themselves. Uh, so it's really just kind of overwhelming close combat. Shock and awe. Shock and awe, yes. And are these things powered by this flagellant? What is is the flagellant con- uh, conscious in it? Are they are they guiding the machine, or is it just powered by their pain or whatever? Conscious, but not aware, probably. Yeah, it's very much like a servitor. In fact, it is a servitor. It's a combat servitor. Ah, I so see, right. they have been lobotomized. They retain enough kind of uh, knowledge to be able to run at someone and punch them. But in the punch, they've got all their kind of wits and electrified right, maces right, and right, stuff. Right. Uh, and the penitent engines are uh, operate under a similar level. So those three kind of troop types are generally the only troops that a, a an ecclesiarchy a cathedral uh, or outpost or mission has at their disposal. However, they have skirted around the uh, the decree passive by creating the Adeptus Sororitas, which are the battle nuns, the sisters of battle. So as you can see, there is a huge hierarchy and organization there um, that deals with broadcasting the religious dogma, the doctrines of faith within the Imperium. And really, those fall under four kind of headings. The first is what's referred to as the sin of the psyker. We all know from previous episodes that there is a love-hate relationship within the Imperium with psychers. And so the ecclesiarchy, and there are many kind of uh, elements, the many priests and confessors, they're almost always on the front line. They're the ones seeking out or helping to seek out or forcing the local governors to seek out uh, psychers and to report them and to imprison them and to wait for them to be then collected by the, the black ships, which bring them back to Terra. So there is a constant kind of propaganda war within the Imperium where the ecclesiarchy is simply trying to terrify the day-to-day uh, citizens of the Imperium about the threat of psychers. Um and the influence that they can have and how they can control one's mind and one's action uh, unless you are pure within the kind of faith of the church. The second area that they spend a lot of time on is the realm of mutation. And that really falls into kind of two subcategories. So the kind of general mutation of citizens either born with mutations or who develop a mutation due to some malign influence, they are to be hunted down and killed because they are a sign that there's some element of psychic influence. That is how it's it's portrayed within the Imperium. And so mutants at best are second-class citizens uh, on certain planets, where on other planets they're just shot on sight. 
uh, and just killed straight away with no consequences for any citizen who does that. The, the second area within mutation are what's referred to as abhumans. These are the mutations that have stabilized. So these are the space dwarves, the squats, or League Ogres. of Botan, as they're referred to. The Ogrins, exactly right. But also the Beastmen. Some regiments, some Imperial Guard regiments, use uh, entire companies or battalions of Beastmen herded together uh, that then are just, uh, much like the Arcoflagellants, just thrown at the enemy as cannon fodder. As I say, the Church sort of uh, recognises them as an element of humanity but one that has been corrupted. So they themselves are second-class citizens compared to day-to-day, in quotes, normal uh, uh, humans within the um, Imperium. I like how you described the Beastmen as being herded together. I just imagine yeah. like one man and his dog episode <laughs> herding a, a flock of Beastmen. Come by, come by. Watch <laughs> on. What's the, uh, what's the collective term for a group of uh, beastmen, Chris? Uh, it a herd. is no, that's too obvious. It's a uh, it's a growl. Uh, it's a growl uh, of beastmen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. A growl of beastmen. A Rawr. growl of beastmen. Excellent. <laughs> a roar a of beastmen. <laughs> and they're they're led by several priests, or as the collective known, a sneer of priests. Uh, they, <laughs> so those really, those first two, the sin of the psyker and the sin of mutation, those are internal to humanity. These are things that come from humans that have been corrupted by some element but it's still a thing that is seen as inherent in any human as any human can suddenly become a psyker any human can suddenly be mutated the other two really then are external forces you've got the aliens uh, so xenos in general it's shoot on site for any xenos that a, a law abiding faithful member of the imperium uh, comes across, if you'll excuse the phrase. There are some exceptions to that, but in general, that's due to a military campaign, an ongoing military campaign where, say, for instance, the uh, Imperium is allied with the Eldar, or the Eldari, as they are now known, for uh, a specific campaign. Uh, the church will advise people to be wary, but not to assault uh, them because they are helping us fight a bigger bad. And then finally, the, the 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 other one of those kind of two external influences is the bigger bad. It's uh, heresy and chaos. Those are the main enemies of the church. They're the ones that get the blood boiling fastest. Uh, so anyone who denies the divinity of the emperor, even tangentially, even through is actions, even through associations, they're either executed publicly, very gruesomely, or they are turned into an arco-flagellant. And so they have a continuous kind of resource pool of heretics to transform into war machines to fight other heretics. Mr. Chris? I feel like chaos is uh, heresy inherently. Chaos and and the emperor do not get on anyway. We know this, don't we? Because apparently the emperor tried to strike a deal, but then uh, basically... Screwed them out of it. Screwed them out of it. So by default, chaos is heresy 
so yeah heresy is kind of the overall the overall sin the overall big bad yeah well i think that the, the as i say the first two the sin of the psyker and the sin of mutation they are pitched by the the ministerum as being a thing as the original sin something that's in all of us and thus mm. we have to be ever vigilant and you have to pray where in reality with the exception of aliens everything is coming from the influence of the warp the one thing the emperor was trying to stop so the church has now taken up that role but has done so with a view of using the emperor as a religious figurehead um and then bringing that you know to bear within the imperium mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. how those are uh, combated is what we're going to deal with next we'll just have a quick look at the the types of soldiery and weapons that are available to the uh, ecclesiarchy that is the end of that section nicely rounded up finny that's what you did there we head into then the freighterous militia the arcoflagellants and the penitent engines and now we're going to talk about the sisters of battle yes um, sisters. sisters hold on let me get my lube <laughs> So, yeah, so the decree passive mandated that there could not be any men under arms. And the, the goal of that uh, decree was that the ecclesiarchy could not have any troops whatsoever. However, there was something called the Convocation of Nephilim, where the Inquisition agreed with the or agreed to have the Sisters of Battle be available to them as the uh, the kind of chamber's militant, the militant wing, the military wing of the Inquisition, not only of the Inquisition, but of the Ecclesiarchy, uh, the Adeptus Ministorum. That happened after the Reign of Blood with Gauge Vandyer. So we had said that the there was a Space Marine strike force that had gone to get uh, Vandyer at the Ecclesiarchal Palace in Antarctica. When they arrived, they expected only to find the Freighterous Militia, known at that time as the Freighterous Templar, which are, stand, these are the regiments loyal, completely loyal to uh, Van Dyer uh, and his dogma. When they got there, they were confronted by female warriors in power armor wielding the same weapon that they had, they were wielding bolters, and they had a fanatical faith in the Emperor which had been corrupted then by uh, Vandyer. So they were, they viewed him as an avatar of the empire of the emperor uh, for all intents and purposes. So as the space Marines were making their way through, they were just, they were ground to a halt with the sheer level of uh, fanaticism and firepower that was directed at them. This ended up with a months-long siege, a months-long stalemate uh, within the Ecclesiarchal Palace. All the while, Vantyre was going more and more insane and power-mad. He couldn't believe the, the temerity of the Space Marines that were coming to depose him. The siege was eventually broken by a single member of the Adeptus Custodes. These are the gold armor-clad giant warrior men of uh, the Emperor's own bodyguard. He appeared as if from nowhere in the Ecclesiarchal Palace. The Custodes know every pathway within the, uh, the surface and subsurface of Terra because they have to defend every single section of Terra uh, and their master's kind of safety 
uh, and master's presence. Um, they appeared before the uh, a, a, a warrior called Alicia Domin Dominica and her uh, kind of most trusted companions. And these were the bodyguard of Gauge Van Dyer, who happened to be in the very next room. So this Custodes, uh, Centurion Longinus. Uh, he... Sorry, what now? Excuse you? <laughs> a century long it's a name. Ginus. Long Gina. Long Gina. <laughs> wow. Wow, that is Long Ginus. That is a huge bitch. <laughs> <laughs> that is that, that is a very long name, yes. Um, he informed uh, the bodyguard, uh, Alicia and her companions, that they're were requested to come into the very presence of the emperor at the golden throne. Uh, they were granted an audience. So they were taken from Antarctica through to the Himalayas. One assumes it right. took two or three hours to get there <laughs> through the various Skip the line, and corridors. Straight through the velvet rope, bounces <laughs> left through. And everyone yeah. in the line was like, oh, tutting. How can they get through? We can't get through. They had the audience, but no one knows what occurred. No one knows what passed between the emperor or indeed the custodies, the emperor and um, uh, the daughters of the emperor. That was the name of those that military unit at the time. They just came out giggling. They came <laughs> oh, we can't say. We can't say. <laughs> We're not allowed. We're not allowed. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Quite the opposite, in fact. They, emer they emerged from the audience filled with righteous indignation. Indignation at. Indignation? Is that a word? Righteous indignation in, in, and anger. Indignation. Indignation. They had. Yeah. Longinus. They had fury in their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> they had long in the ginus. And <laughs> they were long of the Jonas. <laughs> no, that's not going in. <laughs> no, it's long from the Jonas. <laughs> when Alicia and her companions arrived back into the presence of uh, Gauge Van Dyer, they basically kicked open the door, denounced him as a heretic, and then beheaded him. Nice. Just before he was beheaded, as the death sentence was announced by Alicia herself, Van Dyer famously said, I don't have time to die. I'm too busy. <laughs> <laughs> I've added the bit. For, For real? Did he yeah, say that? Yeah. <laughs> so it wow. was after that that the convocation of the Nephilim, or convocation of Nephilim, was uh, brought into position. The daughters of the emperor were renamed the Adeptus Sororitas, the the sisters of battle and the decree passive was put in place so we now have a link between the ecclesiarchy the inquisition the ecclesiarchy now has a standing army of uh, female warriors uh, backed up by fanatical mobs and uh, robo mincers <laughs> this is, uh, and we settle into the kind of the long four millennia uh, from that time to the current time where uh, very much uh, stagnant is the wrong word. The template for how the ecclesiarchy uh, manifests has been established within that meeting. So they got their militia. 
they got it, even though they said, no, we don't have no standing army. Yeah. But they got but yeah, it's it, it's yeah. seen as they've gotten around the word of the law by ignoring the spirit of the law, by the spirit of the decree. Oh yeah, we've been here before, haven't we? Ignoring the idea of the spirit, <laughs> of the concept, of the law, <laughs> of the so on and so <laughs> forth. <laughs> so you lost. Well, me I guess the, first the emperor one, didn't yeah. want religion at all, and then he got a galaxy full of religions. Yeah. So you know, yeah. what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming that we're going to look into the Adeptus Sororitas more later, but. Um, in terms of the origin of the daughters of the emperor, was that did they come about? Because obviously the space marines arriving at the um, at the the Antarctic, at the um, ecclesiarchal cathedral, palace, yeah. the ecclesiarchal palace, they didn't know that these. Um, these warriors existed. Uh, yes, the that's true. They, they were they, kind of surprised. They by were that. surprised by yeah. that. Um, it, it, so, so yeah, were they developed at the same time as these, um, like the arch, arcoflagellants and what? It's something we'll explore in more detail when we do kind of do dedicated episodes to the Sisters of Battle. But they did exist in some form before Van Dyer kind of came to prominence but they were nowhere near as well equipped uh, as they became it's really it's the the money and the influence that van Dyer was able to kind of bring to bear is what right. brought them to that level uh, and to some extent gotcha. or sorry to some extent the daughters of the empire still are the sisters of battle there's not really been any huge technological uh, advancements or or organizational advancements uh, outside of the kind of bringing them into a kind of unified single entity mm. daughters of the emperor daughters of the daughters emperor of the sorry emperor. yes it's 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 oh, it's right, vlad okay, yeah. and manfred all over again i just yeah is there is there a, a kind of a base level of like shame within the Adeptus Sororitas regarding what happened, the fact that they were kind of uh, mind-washed, brainwashed, sorry, by by these, by that individual, whatever his name was, Gash Van Gash. Van Dyer. Van Dyer. <laughs> Gash, Gash Nagash. Gash. What? Gash Nagash. Um, one assumes that at the time there must have been, but these are, you know, effectively warriors without peer, you know, w without being super augmented uh super troopers these are the some of the finest warriors within the imperium of uh, of man so they will have their own uh kind of views on these things but in general no there's not not a huge there's no original sin if you see what i mean they're, they're not viewed as less than right okay um, yeah that's what i was wondering so the sisters of battle they've in the game they are broken into certain orders, it being kind of organizational units or armies, in quotes, regiments, I suppose, is another way of looking at them. There's kind of six major orders, each one founded by one of the, founded by Alicia and one, or, or one of the companions, uh, who have since received sainthood. Um, and we'll talk about that in a little while. Uh, but it's important to bear in mind that the Adeptus Sororitas is one entity. It's not 
broken up like the Space Marine chapters. Because, uh, and that's a comparison that's made perhaps a bit too much. A lot of people view them as female Space Marines where they're absolutely not. They are certainly augmented to be able to use power armor and they have a bolt gun, but they don't go through a, a, a kind of rigorous kind of biological enhancement as the Space Marines do. The individual sisters are, for the vast majority of them, are raised in the, the school of progenium. We talked about that before, which is where the kind of orphans of the good and the great of the empire, of the Imperium go, uh, and are raised by, uh, or raised and trained by the kind of military advisors and scholars, but also by what's referred to as drill abbots, who are the kind of a military religious school teacher and they're the ones that kind of uh, indoctrinate them into the imperial creed once identified as a perhaps a a suitable candidate for the sororitas uh, usually done identified by a drill abbess it's important to note that at no stage from recruitment through to deployment is any male influence felt outside of the emperor they are a, a completely segregated uh, organization. So even the, uh, the selection process is done by uh, women who in general are former battle sisters or who are female priests within the ecclesiarchy. As it's kind of bound into the decree passive that you can have no men under arms sort of implies you can have no men deciding who is under arms either mr chris um seeing as the uh, sisters of battle are kind of autonomous and not influenced by male input at all is their working environment as it were is the way they are is it different the imperial man is very oppressive and tyrannical and authoritarian are they, but do they behave inherently in the same way regardless? Yes, they behave exactly in the Fine. same way. Yeah. They are effectively nuns in, mm -hmm. in terms of how we would conceptualize them, but they are militant nuns. These are nuns that take to the battlefield. They are. <laughs> As opposed to you know, regular happy nuns. Yeah. That's, yeah. The With razor sharp rulers. The, yeah. The, <laughs> the ruler wielding compassionate regular nuns, yes. Um, they. They view themselves as uh, not just defenders of humanity, but defenders of the faithful, defenders of human souls. And so mm. they are uh, incredibly strict. They are incredibly dogmatic uh, because they have to be, because they're facing chaos and heretics and aliens and psychers and mutants almost on a day-to-day -day basis. There's no downtime. Um, mm. So it's, you know, it's the issue of if you're in a constant state of war, you're not really going to be gregarious uh, and, and happy-go-lucky. Sure. Once mm. a candidate has been selected, they're sent off to one of the orders. Now, as I said, there are six kind of major orders, and those are the Order of the Bloody Rose, Order of the Sacred Rose, as original, uh, Order of our Martyred Lady. The Martyred Lady uh, tends to be the kind of poster child uh, order used by Games Workshop. They're very much like the Ultramarines are the poster boys for 
the Space Marines, the Martyred Lady, the Order of the Martyred Lady are the, are the poster girls, poster women for um, the uh, Sisters of Battle. You then have the Order of Ebon Chalice, Order of Valorous Heart, and then my favorite, which is the Order of the Argent Shroud. So if I ever get a force going, I'll, I'll paint them up like that. Uh, as I say, they were each founded by one of the bodyguards, one of the Alicia and her companions. Uh, and those, those original six warriors have achieved sainthood. Now, we didn't talk about that earlier when we were talking about the ecclesiarchy. Saints exist Saints are, and are manifestly real within the Imperium of Man. These are, uh, in general extremely faithful people, although not always, members of the ecclesiarchy, usually, but not always, and they manifest the will of the emperor in some fashion. Uh, that can either be... But not on, always. But, no, always. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, and like the examples range from... You know, Saint Celestine, who is a member of the Order of a Martyred Lady uh, and who is a, a, a kind of winged uh, warrior, well, a jetpack wielding warrior whose jetpack is in the shape of wings. She was killed and then resurrected by the pure spirit of the Emperor. Uh, and she now fights at the forefront of these great crusades led by uh, or wow. leading forces of our Martyred Lady. So she's a living uh, saint. Forward. She's a, a living saint. But Almost every order has at least one saint in some capacity, either a warrior or a scribe. So a, 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 a scribe or a messenger who can, um, you know, with one pamphlet, rouse up the ire of the faithful on a planet led by a heretic. And if that heretic is then deposed and the planet comes back into compliance with the Imperium's kind of requirements, uh, that scribe is held up as a saint because right, they did so, yeah. what a thousand warriors could not do. And so they were judged to have had, for a moment, the essence of some essence of the emperor was within them. And that's true for not only ecclesiarchy or not only for members of the ecclesiarchy. There are soldiers who have uh, received uh, sainthood. There are priests or like, sorry, adepts, bureaucrats who have received uh, sainthood because they had done something extraordinary, which had been judged to be the influence of the uh, of the uh, emperor. Now, that's not to say that it's done wholesale. It, they're fairly cynical about it as well. If someone managed to achieve some great act and is viewed as being uh, the emperor's will was embodied within them for that time, but they also happen to be really unpopular politically within the kind of sector, their sainthood or their beatification, as the process is called, could take centuries rather than be rubber stamped. Oh, uh, right. So there's a, a kind of political <laughs> aspect to this as well. So while we have these various orders, they're still all one force. They're not individual space marine chapters. That said, they all have their own leadership. Uh, so you have the abbesses who lead the uh, various sizes of forces. You have a, a canoness who is in charge of a single order. Uh, and of course, the size of these orders denotes the influence and power of such 
women in in councils and in negotiations. Individual, how do you describe it? Individual units or individual forces can raise in, in size from a couple of units and uh, a leader up to an entire order, you know, with about a thousand battle sisters within each uh, kind of area. But that is not to say that an order is limited to a thousand uh, battle sisters, uh, as space marines are limited to a thousand space marines per chapter. Each order, each of the kind of major orders, could be tens of thousands of battle sisters, uh, and in some cases up to a hundred thousand battle sisters. I'm going no further than that because of the whole millions, billions thing I got in trouble for a few episodes back. Um, <laughs> Is there a single leader of the, the Adeptus Sororitas? No, there's more accounts. Well, technically, yes, it's the Ecclesiarch because the Adeptus Sororitas answers only to the uh, Ecclesiarch. There are two kind of subdivisions within the organization of the uh, sororitas uh, and those are known as convents there's the uh, convent prioris which is on terra and then there's the convent sanctorum which is on ophelia 7 which is a, a shrine world and within each of those convents three each of the major uh, of the orders majoris the ones i named there the ones descended from the uh, or founded by the bodyguard uh, of uh, Gojvandar uh, are there. And then each of those orders has suborders or orders minoris from there. So, you know, you could be looking at an order would have somewhere between 10 and 100 uh, order minoris under there, each comprising of either a handful of uh, battle sisters or a thousand sisters. And so, in its totality, the Adeptus Sororitas is a huge force, a huge force uh, of uh, well-trained, uh, power-armoured warriors uh, that can, under certain conditions, stand toe-to-toe against space marines. So is an abbess, and is an abbess the top level within one of the orders? A canoness. Oh, canoness, right. Is the the top. So an abbess would look after an abbey or a single encampment or or fortress uh, monastery that uh, they would look after. Gotcha. Nice. The Sisters of Battle are not only preoccupied with making war and defense, although that is the, the vast majority of their function, there are other orders within the uh, the sororitas. Uh, the three kind of main groupings are the hospitallers, which are medics and doctors and nurses. These uh, battle sisters are more preoccupied with healing than with causing uh, injury, although they can fuck shit up as well. But mm. they are routinely associated with the Sisters of Battle, when they go to war. In general, they're not of the same order as the forces to which they're assigned. And in some cases, they can be assigned to Imperial Army regiments uh, to give kind of succor and aid to the kind of forces of the Imperium. You then have the Orders Dialogus. Dialogus? Yes, Dialogue. They are the kind of scribes and translators of the battle sisters. So these are the ones that will translate 
between high gothic and low gothic when handing out you know uh space bibles but also some of them have been trained uh, in how to translate alien languages uh, so these are the researchers and librarians that will allow not only the sisters of battle but any inquisitorial force that they're associated with access to a significant body of learning and be able to communicate uh, between uh, beings that perhaps don't share the same value system. You then have, finally, the Orders uh, Famulus. Fabulous. <laughs> Fabulous, yeah. No, Famulus. Fabulous. They mince around everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever they walk, they vogue. <laughs> yeah. Just gesticulate. Yeah. <laughs> these are the uh, i mean there's no dancing around it these are the benny Gesserit of the cool. imperial man so these are taken lifted straight Fucking from doom cool. these are the teachers and advisors to the noble houses and governors across the imperium they get into kind of noble eugenics and tracing family lines uh, and teaching the uh, good and the great how to be better imperial citizens and one of the members of the uh, faithful. They're also the spy network to some extent because they have their fingers in so many pies, if you'll excuse the phrase, that allows them to gather a tremendous amount of intelligence on the nobility of the imperium. And that's crucial because if one of those proves to be a wrong'un, you could lose an entire planet uh, to heresy uh, or chaos. And so you can see that they are not just a military wing, not just the military force of the ecclesiarchy. They are also the uh, kind of intelligence network. They're the primary contact with other agencies through the uh, Dialogus either with the military wing of the Imperium, the general military wing, or the Inquisition. But they also have a, a huge cadre of healers that they can send out to reinforce the fact that the Emperor is sending these people to you to help you, to keep you alive, so that you can fight in his name, and, and, and. Yeah, it's a fairly convoluted and quite detailed organization which i can't wait to delve into in more detail but what i will say just it, it kind of in general we'll just touch on some of the troops that they have as a kind of as we close out this episode in general you have a battle sister and a battle sister the, the kind of rank and file troop is equipped with power armor a bolt gun and grenades that's really all she needs uh, and she will she will never back down and i can do attitude yeah, a can-do attitude. A can-shoot attitude, yeah. <laughs> I can do anything better than you, and in heels. <laughs> Don't get me started on some of the earlier sculpts. There were battle nuns with high heels. It was fucking insane. That's really the, cool. <laughs> yeah, Awesome. <laughs> the only way that that's fair is if they also release space marines with high heels. I'm just saying. I'm just putting it from a quality perspective. Like. <laughs> quality perspective. Um, so, yeah, they do have a kind of no questions asked, shoot now, shoot later policy uh, in general for uh, uh, for any foe they come across. I can relate. Mm, uh, mm, mm. You then have various kind of progressions from the general kind of awesomeness of a, a, a rank and file sister of battle. 
they can go in kind of uh, several routes if they're equipped with special weapons like flamethrowers and melt-a-guns and storm bolters they're what's referred to as a dominion and these are always mounted in a in a rhino apc uh, not like a rhino from one of those ace ventura movies that just be fucking weird <laughs> especially deployment the Trojan <laughs> Rhino. <laughs> but these are like a fast attack style troop. They are mechanized infantry. Uh, you have the retributors. They are uh, infantry, mechanized or not, that are equipped with the heaviest weapons within the Sororitas arsenal. And that is heavy bolters, multi-melters, and heavy flamers. So there's a theme here of either blowing stuff up or melting stuff or setting it on fire. That's really how they make war. You have the kind of jump pack equipped troops, which are referred to as the Seraphim, and they they go into battle dual-wielding pistols or hand flamers, and they will just, you know, they, they quick draw themselves across the battlefield, uh, peppering. They're John Wicks. Effectively, it's John Wick. John Wick with a jump pack. Cool. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Doing lots of like sideways <laughs> bullet time style attacks. Yeah. And then once you get to the higher ranks where you're a veteran sister of battle uh, or a very well regarded warrior, you get into this Celestian rank. And these are the veteran infantry units or the bodyguards themselves for the leaders of the force. These are the battle sisters that have seen it all, done it all, and will continue to do it all again as the ecclesiarchy needs. Um, they sound they sound chiseled, hardcore. I bet they smoke whilst they eat their dinner, don't they? Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> the is, yeah. Yeah, and they're so badass that they actually smoke pipes. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not a pipe you're sucking on. <laughs> there are some more esoteric units within the Sisters of Battle, and I'm thinking of the Repentia. Now, these are sisters who are judged either to have failed in their faith in some way or have directly contravened an order, uh, this kind of idea. They've made a mistake, and they must now atone for it. These sisters are... Uh, stripped of their armor, they go into battle effectively wrapped in uh, scrolls, which details their transgressions, and they're only armed with a huge double-handed sword that's also a chainsaw. It's wow. called an eviscerator. And they, they again, much like the Arcoflagellants, they race into battle. Now, they do so willingly because they're trying to wash themselves clean of their sin, but they're also kind of like slayer dwarves. Yeah, is it is it yes, a kind of like they'll exactly only like they'll only be able to make up for it if they die in battle? Is it? Is ah, it? no, they can because the emperor despises the waste of a good warrior. They're led into battle. Well, more correctly, they're whipped into battle by what's referred to as a mistress of mistress of repentance. I think I may have got that wrong, and she has two electro whips and just whips her fellow sisters, the Repentia, into frenzy. At the end of the battle, she will decide if a given sister has redeemed themselves. And if they have redeemed themselves, they rejoin the rank they had previously, or the type they are, and they're held in great esteem because it's really, they've gained forgiveness from the emperor. Because 
every decision technically comes from the emperor as members of the ecclesiarchy or the sororitas uh, view it. I love the idea that, like, you know, they're stripped of their armor and then they're just clothed in scrolls that detail their sins. It'd be a real killer if, like, you did a sin, but it was like, I don't know, you you stole an extra portion of food and you're like, well, this isn't going to be a big enough scroll to cover me. Right. <laughs> in for a penny, in for a pound. And then they just go fucking rampant so that they get, like, a, they could make a dress, you know, a nice formal dinner yeah, jacket exactly. or something out of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, I, I think they don't care about their own physicality. So it, it, that, that wouldn't right. be an issue for them. It's interesting to note that on the miniatures, these scrolls are held in with like small daggers and nails that are pierced through their skin. Ooh, so wow. that, that's how the scrolls are held on. No, uh, no tit tape then. Yeah, and invariably <laughs> they'll have like a, a nail through their tongue or or if you'll excuse on one model it has a ball gag. And uh, wow. they they just they all they want to do is either redeem themselves or die. And so they don't care about Mad. the things about you know how bad they look. This all is not to say that they are without vehicles as well. We touched on the kind of armored uh, personnel carry they have, which is called a rhino. They have two other uh, types of tank, which are quite interesting. One is an immolator, and it is a it's a, a, a it's a rhino, so it's a, still an armored personnel carrier, but it's got a huge turret on the top that has two that has. A stain, an armored stained glass window, and two flamethrowers, two <laughs> big heavy flamethrowers, cool. and so it brings both beauty and fire to the enemies. Uh, and the <laughs> final one, how do they see through the stain through glass? Like it's pretty oh, obscure. They've got a, they, their power <laughs> armor has a thing called auto senses, which is a thing that that's in Space Marine power armor as well, and that links to a little kind of camera in front of everything, so they can <laughs> okay. see perfectly. Um, yeah, uh, through yeah. it the final tank or the final variant is called uh, an exorcist this is a, exorcista exorcista uh, huh? uh, oh i like what you did there an immolator a herolator because huh? <laughs> <laughs> huh? you're on fire <laughs> am i shit <laughs> the exorcist is a it's a rhino chassis that has a rocket launcher on it now this isn't any run-in-the-mill rocket launcher <laughs> this rocket launcher looks like an organ, an organ uh, that you would find in a church. So it's a musical instrument that a sister of battle actually plays. Amazing. And depending <laughs> on the keystrokes, it launches rockets out of the pipes. Yes, yes. <laughs> I would totally go to church if that's what organs did. Now, you say organ, so it could be one of two styles. Is it like you know classical uh, church style music play through the, the organ, or is it like Henry Mancini halftime kind of ice? Oh no, it's it, it, it's the classical huge. Huge okay. church organ. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so funny. And, and, and on that note, I think we'll draw the discussion of the of the faithful to a close. Uh, again, this was a potted history oh, or or her story of uh, the, yeah. uh, the the kind of the view of faith within the Imperium. If you layer this on top of the bureaucracy, so this episode and the previous episode. That is the experience that almost all imperial citizens have of the Imperium of Man. It's bureaucratic and it's religious. That's it. Uh, and so 
uh, in terms of religiously bureaucratic li- or bureaucratically religious. Yes, exactly mm. right. Uh, and at mm. any moment, you can be called upon to fight for your imperium, either as a member of the military, uh, a member of the Fratris militia, or a member of Planetary Guard, or as a, a combat servitor, an arcoflagellant for the uh, ecclesiarchy. It's really, it's not much of a life for most people. It's horrifically oppressive. If you can think of the most bureaucratic secular country in the world, plus the most fanatically religious country, and have them be the same country, that kind of gives you an idea of how oppressive life is in the Imperium of Man. And that is viewed as a good thing by the leadership. Wow. Of course it is. Yeah, that's. Uh, of course, they'd say that. Thoughts, questions. It's just ironic how massively religious, how much yeah. religion is involved in the whole galaxy, considering <laughs> the primary aim of the emperor. The initial, of, yeah, yeah, like right. It's no like religion. not just the okay. Lip. You want religion everywhere? N- no, that's the opposite uh, of what I just said. I want no religion. Okay, everyone's religious. So, <laughs> so uber religion, yeah, like. Let's really take it to the nth degree. Yeah, yeah. I guess you just, you'd, at that point, you just change the definition of religion. You know what? Yeah, you're not religious. You worship me, but that's not religion. That's yeah. bureaucracy. Religion it's common is sense, mate. not it's common sense. me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but this is, how, this is how far the ecclesiarchy goes, but the Adeptus Ministerum goes. Every action is viewed as a votive prayer to the emperor. So everything you do is a prayer that reflects on not only your relationship with the emperor, but your relationship with his church. So they can effectively nail you to the wall for anything and that you live under constant fear unless you are wealthy or have contacts. And if it's not them, it's that bloody um, abstractionism law that the RBTs come along. It's like... Uh, oh, you! Oh, you think you you think you were looper? No, no, that's that's against the law, I'm afraid. Oh, you were doing well, nothing. <laughs> also against the law <laughs> and religion. But th- this is the thing that uh, people have to keep in mind when they think about you know on a planet over on the other side of the galaxy. Not only do you have the body of law that's been built up on that planet to enforce the status quo, for want of a better interpretation of what laws are, but then you have the complete lex imperialis, the laws of the imperium by the uh, the Arbites, and then the huge body of dogmatic law by the ecclesiarchy brought in as well. So you're living within three extremely oppressive legal systems, all of which want you just to shut up and do your job. Yeah. Wow. Duty, yeah. Man, I love the Adeptus Sororitas, man. I can't wait to hear a little bit more about them. Like, I'm still shout, I'm torn between shout. them, the White Scars, and the Eldar. I still don't know who's my my fave out of those. Although I suppose they could all be faves. One's favorite Xenos, one is favorite Space Marine, and then one is just the Adeptus Sororitas. Yeah, 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 yeah. I need to get more acquainted with the different factions and outfits of military to decide which one I like. I'm not acquainted with them enough. It's just the orcs, Chris. Yeah, true. Touche. Yeah. Yeah. It's always the orcs. The boys. Always the orcs. The boys. Nice. Shall I wrap up? Yes, you may wrap up. 
<laughs> all right, that's all from us. Thank you so much for listening. Details and imagery for the topics we've discussed in this podcast can be found on our website at layingdownthelord.com. We also have all our previous episodes on there, release schedules, merchandise, and you can sign up for the Laying Down the Lord newsletter, which includes exclusive info about upcoming releases, behind-the-scenes chat, and some extra lore not covered in the podcast. Does it, though? If you... If you... <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. If you've enjoyed what you've heard in this episode and want to... If you've enjoyed what you've heard in this episode and want to support us, head over to patreon.com forward slash laying down the lore 40k and sign up today for as little as three pounds. This will give you access to our Discord server where you can come and tell us exactly what you think of Kral and his love of orcs. We'll... <laughs> Sorry, they can't hear me smile. Yeah. I'm smiling. <laughs> we'll be back again soon displaying just how little Chris and I know. Until then, goodbye. Ciao for now. Go in the name of the God Emperor. Mm-hmm.